Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Our Father and our God, we just want to say thank you. We bless you for today. We thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for what you will continually do. Father, we say let your name be glorified in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that your grace will be with us. We ask that we would experience you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, blessed Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Let us have our seat, God bless us all, in the name of Jesus. We have been talking about the gospel and I honestly felt that maybe we should bring it to a head as we go uh, to, to, to a summary as we um, bring everything together. You know, one of the things I would first of all say is that as a person, I am, you know, my desires has always been that one of the greatest things that I worried as a pastor, as a person generally, is that I do not want to sell people or present something to people that has that does not have um, an impact on people's life. It was a concern for me that I don't want to get people excited and it is leading nowhere. And that has always been a, a very, you know, something that has always um, been so impressed in my heart. So my wife would tell you, so at times, even though I prepared my sermons, I thought about it overnight, I am struggling to sleep because I am constantly seeking the face of God. That, you know, it is important that because when God begins to explain to you the value of a soul, you, you, maybe the way you would calculate it will be a little bit different. When I was serving in Sokoto in, in Isa, and I was leading a, fel- um, a fellowship, and I saw a man who would, who would travel from, um, from the center of the town down to where we were holding the fellowship. And I'll see this man, he, is, he, he, he has about three kids, if I can remember well, his wife, and he would, they would, he, the wife would, would, the small child would be on the bicycle, and he would have to carry, you know, the whole, the, whole, the, the children, and by the time they come in and are walking through the door, you know, my heart drops because as I see them coming, travel about close to an hour walk in the in the dusty part of the northern part of Nigeria, you don't want to just sell that man a hope that doesn't exist. And those were scenes like that. When they consider, you know, then they used to call us Papa. I said, ah, Papa, you know, I, I just came because then he does, then his family came from um, a part of the East. Then, so he brought all his, his brother in law and they all came to church and said, We just want to come and listen to you. And in as much as people felt that those kind of words may, may make me feel, you know, he actually brings tears to me because I'm like, you know, of what, you know, it is important that. You know, one thing Jesus would do is that Jesus placed value on the, on the time of people. How do I know place time on the value of time on the um, value on the time of people was when the people came to listen to him and they were with him for days. And Jesus said that these people are hungry. And he said, somebody said, oh, let us send them to the other town that they will go and find food. Jesus said that they've 
when Jesus took Jesus said, these people have been here all day. So I cannot just send them away that way. What he's saying is that they have, they have given their time to come. So it is wrong for me to assume that, you know, I can just send them away. That is God talking. And, you know, and it is always funny when you begin to have people, you know, who say, you know, they will come back next Sunday. There's no problem. God places value on the time of people. And because he knows the greatest currency you have is your time. You, money is, the money that you have is like the value attached to your time. So time is the undermining. So that's why you can see somebody who would, you know, who, who could be earning, and God will help all of us. Somebody could be earning um, 10 pounds or a half, somebody going to 50 pounds an hour. It is the value that they see attached to that time. God help us in the name of Jesus Christ. So, you know, why I'm saying this because as we begin to look at the experience of the gospel, one of the things that I was, I was, I was talking to God about, you know, and I was like, somebody called me yesterday, somebody asked me, said, Pastor, what would be your sermon or topic? And, and because it was such a, I, I literally knelt down beside my bed and I just, I, I was just saying, God, you know, it's important that value is added to the lives of people. So, we are talking about the experience of the gospel. What am I trying to I am trying for us to even look further beyond the theory of the gospel and understand how to experience it. How to experience it. And, you, you, you know, um, because something does not... Um, there is a man called Riyad Bonke. He is he's going to be with the Lord now. And uh, you know, this was when he started when, when God started with him and when he came to Africa to come and preach the gospel. And uh, you can see these are kids on the floor, and those are just his few lieutenants and things like that. And you know, just he's just going to be with the Lord. I went because they normally do the account on their website and and when you go to to the website CFAN, at the moment the count is eighty two million three hundred thousand eight hundred and thirty nine documented souls, people who gave their life to Christ. So he started from just kids gathering kids, and as God began to help him, he said something which was quite interesting. That is where I want to start from. Gee, they, they, they asked him an interview in Lego in Nigeria, sorry in, in, on. on on, on a TV, a TV program, and they said, you know, if Jesus actually, um, if this Jesus was actually, if the blood of Jesus was actually valuable, if if he could actually change lives, why is it that there are so many people across the world still having issues, if or still being, uh, uh, you know? Uh, having their sinful natures, why do you have all these kind of things going on? And he gave an answer. He said, "Is it that when you see people who do who who, who smell, basically, when I mean who smell, people who who have not taken their bath, who don't have uh, proper hygiene, does that mean that there is no soap?" So you can have somebody who can have stack of soap in his house if they don't use it. So would you not say that because you have people who have who are bad hygiene walking around the streets, that is to say that there is no soap. So also, because God has provided a solution and people still live the way they, they, they that does not say the gospel doesn't make sense. And what he was saying is that until you take the soap and you get into the bedroom and you apply it to yourself, you will still remain. But because I am not hygienically clean does not mean I don't have soap at all. God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. 
So as we as we move further, as you begin to understand, as, or as we all begin to understand that um, that Jesus began to talk about eternal life. And when we read the definition of Jesus about eternal life, because people believe that, or which is not wrong in its way, but in the interpretation that Jesus gave, people would say that, oh, when, when I want to see eternal life, God save my soul. So basically, people are looking on to eternal life, but when Jesus was speaking in John chapter 17, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, the Bible says, after all these things, Jesus looked up to the heavens and, and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your son so that he can give glory back to you. For you are giving him authority over everything and as he gives eternal life to each one who you have given him. And this is the way to eternal life. Another version will tell you that this is eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? One, to know God. Two, to know, to know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you sent. So, basically, what Jesus is saying is that eternal life starts from the time you understand who God is and what Jesus came to do on earth. So he's saying eternal life is not when a man dies and goes. Eternal life can start from the point of when I understand who God is and who Jesus is, not only Jesus alone, but why he was sent. Why he was sent. And, and when we begin to talk about this, this just helps us to lay the foundation. We've spoken a lot over, over the couple of weeks around the gospel, but we, you know, as, as I was explaining it last week, when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 5, you would see that Paul was talking about the gospel. He said, he said, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you the gospel I preached to you, which you received, which you have taken a stand. This gospel, he said, he said, this gospel you, we said, by this gospel you are saved. If your family hold on to the word I preached, otherwise you are believed in vain. Let's read them, please. He said, what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. And we've discussed that to say that what Paul was saying, that this is understanding the gospel as a Christian is critical, is the bedrock of any other thing you would do. If you are, he's saying that, it is not that you do not believe. He said, but if your understanding of that gospel does not add up, then your faith, your belief, is, does not make sense. It does not make sense. And you know, and it's, it's, it's a challenge at times when you, you can ask somebody, you know, I had the privilege, you know, of there is someone who is, who is uh, someone that is looked up to and rightfully so. And when we were talking and, you know, you could ask them, can you explain the gospel to me? In the Christian fold, in our fold actually, and the struggle to kind of make sense of what the gospel is. And the, the problem is that that is the foundation. And when that is not properly understood, it will become a problem. It will become a problem. You know, Paul was, and Paul had, Paul had a very, let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Paul had a very, 
I'm, I'm, we're coming to Philippians chapter 3. He said, yes, everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And you would see, you know, as we've talked about this a couple of times, when you see when Paul is talking and Paul says Christ Jesus, I was sharing with some people yesterday because in their day, Jesus was a common name. Jesus was not a special name. It was a common name. Because you would see that when Jesus was going to be crucified, he said, which Jesus are you talking about? Because there was uh, by Jesus and Jesus himself. So Jesus was a common name. So why the purpose would always say Christ Jesus, that means we are talking about the Messiah. You know, I understand that if you if you give that to each other and you name Jesus in Nigeria, people will ah. You gotta tell me say, you know. Because I just struggle with because I remember one day I went I got to work and one of my colleagues was called Jesus. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> that's going on here, you know, and it is important, and that's part of the things that I would share with us because because that would understanding that forms the bedrock of your faith. Because I I had a dream one day, and I've shared it a couple of times. I had a dream one day, and in that dream, it was it, it, I, I saw a demon, and I was. I was fight, I was shout praying and saying, in the name of Jesus, I cast you out. And in that dream, I will never forget it. That dream, that demon said, look back at me and said, which Jesus do you profess? Then my response in that dream was what I began. And I said, it is the Jesus who died on the cross. The one who paid for my sins. And in the name of that Jesus, I cast you out. Then he fell. But what was the significance? Why did I not say that? Oh, you know, it is, please, when you're in the dream, you're not the one. <laughs> I say, so please don't, don't think that I'm. I'm not that, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, I had to, had to wake up and learn from the dream because that dream was also a lesson for me. Because so you see that, you see that I wake up and say, ah, I got out today. It was actually an, a opportunity for me to learn and say, okay, why did this thing work? So, so, and what, what was important was that, and it was interesting that when I was speaking, I was speaking about Christ that died on the cross. I did not say the Jesus that hid the, 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 the sick, and which is right. But as at that time, my reason for, um, for deliverance is based on what Christ did on the cross. And the Bible would so so Paul would say that let's uh, let's go on please just because of our time um, he, he says in, in verse ten and um, Paul said that he said he said I want to know Christ I want to experience so that means that there is the knowing and there is the experience you can have an historical knowledge about what happened on Calvary. But it takes another level for you to have an experience of what it is. You know, for those who work in the medical field or who, you know, you can have a medical doctor that just came out of school. They are always very, you know, they think they know all the, and when you now get to the, even the nurse will now say, oh God. <laughs> That is not the problem. Because as a day, when they are coming out, it is theory. Everybody, I don't you know, most people, if you are working now, it's not that it's not applicable, but you discover that it's a world of difference from what you are taught in the class versus what happens in the day-to-day -day life. Even as an accountant, you, you, you understand what it is. But when you now, when you are not giving, when you are in your day-to-day -day work, you will discover that it's not that those things are not applicable, 
But the light, the, the setting is very different. And, and so there is the head knowledge of what Jesus did. And there is the aspect of actually experiencing it. There is no aspect of life. Even when, you know, even when you talk about prophetic things, you can be in the class and they can be teaching you uh, this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But when you are in the, in the um, what's it called, in, in the realm or in the, in the, in the in, when you are in action, let's put it that way. I don't want to put it in because people think we are talking. No, it's not, you know, let's you just, when you are in the scene, somebody may do something. You'll be like, ah, no, that's not what you talk about in class because, because at times the, the situation did man certain things. Does that make sense? So he was saying that, he's saying, you may, he said that I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him and share in his death so that so that one way or the other, other, I will experience. And that is what we are trying to get to, is the experience of it. Is the experience of it. You know, um, and, and one of the one of the ways as we as we begin, you know, even even when you go up to just that John chapter, um, chapter, um, no, let's just go on, please. Sorry, okay, Romans. The Bible says here, the Bible says that it says, now we are getting to a point where the first one it says, for for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sins once and for all. But, but the life he lives, he lives to God. He now said, that is what we know. He now said in verse 11, in the same way, now count yourself. On that version we say, reckon yourself. And for those who did a bit of accounting, when you say, when you are recon, reckoning yourself, that means you are like having a reconciliation statement or whereby, whereby you have an account and you have the bank, um, the bank releases the, the statement. And what you are doing is that you are reconciling to say, oh, we have 500 pounds in our account. Why is that saying four other than something? So maybe while you are reconciling, you might discover that the bank has withdrawn a charges that is not reflecting on your books. So what you need to do is to reconcile the two. So that's why he said, he said, he said now count yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Let's, let's read another version. I think the good news. Just go... Um, the good news says, in the same way, think of yourselves as dead. So that means the first level to begin to experience it is to first of all begin to change your mindset that if Christ died to sin, then I too, I am dead to sin. You will never experience it if you say that Jesus is Omo Mary, I am Omo. And you know, you know, when I say that, what I'm trying to say is that when I say, stop, Jesus will not do that. Stop behaving like that. Ah, no, Jesus is Mary's son. I am, I am my father's child. I have Jesus who do that. What that does is that it puts a barrier between your ability to reconcile yourself to what Christ did. When you say that Jesus is from Jerusalem, I am from Akure, the way we do things is different. You are put a barrier from reconciling yourself 
to God. Does that make sense? So he's saying that the first step of, of after you know is now your thinking of how do you reconcile yourself. Ah, <laughs> if you know my dad, we don't, where I come from, we don't allow this kind of rubbish. We just give it to you once. The problem would be whatever Christ has done would always be theory to you. You will never be able to experience it. Now, one other thing as we go on is to first of all understand also what because there are two parts to this story one is the death of christ and the other one is the resurrection of christ so the bible says that he died and is alive to god so the part of death one of the things you need to, we all need to understand is that why did christ die what was the importance of his death? Let me just quickly look at, let's just quickly look at uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2. Just going to just point out something to us. Colossians chapter 2. He said, when you were dead in your sins, in your own circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He gave he, sorry, he forgave us all our sins, having counseled our legal indebtedness. So that means the death of Christ was a legal process. That is why you would see that the Bible would say that he was nailed on the cross according to the scriptures. Because there was a legal process that needed to be to, to see when you see God, God is not God is loving. God can wipe away sins, but God doesn't just wipe away sins because He's a just God. That's why they call Him a just God. So that means for a sin to be forgiven, that sin has to be punished in a way. So God is not the is as if how I put it now. Is 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 as if somebody stole five pounds from an account. He will not just say I have forgiven you. He would say I have forgiven you, but he will put five pounds in that account. Why? Because that is the legal process. So when Christ died, the Bible says he cancelled the charge of our indebtedness. So that means that, and what happened was that when Adam surrendered his own will, the devil was never over Adam. Adam surrendered his own will. The Bible says that whom you serve is whom becomes your master. So when the devil came to him and said, do you want to eat apple and things like that, when he accepted it, what he did was he took, he began to take others. It became what the Bible will call a lawful captive. So it did not matter who else came to Adam. That's why David will say, in sin did my mother conceive me. I was explaining to someone yesterday that if you, if your father has a, a property, or your mom has a property and there is mortgage on that property once you inherit that house you don't inherit the house you inherit the mortgage so it doesn't matter you can't say eh, you know me i don't care about all of these all of these things you know why would they make such a decision you know i don't like all this kind of thing me I'm a free thinker. I don't believe in, 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 in mortgage. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. It's not the problem. By the time you begin to see belief, <laughs> knock your door, you know that you are. 
So let's say that Adam is that house. The debt is already on it. Irrespective of who you are, the fact that you are living in that house means that you are already committed to that system. Somebody asked the pastor, said, I don't like, I don't agree with all of you. I don't like this. It's very simple. If you don't like my house, well, you have the opportunity to get out of my house and go and find your own house. Does that make sense? So if you don't like the system of the world, you have the opportunity to get out and go and create your own world and start it, but not in this planet. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. So the Bible says that there is a legal charge. Now, like I was sharing with, with them yesterday, I said, you know, no matter, now, this charge had to be paid by somebody who has the ability to pay it. Now, no matter what you do, you can decorate your house, you can paint it pink, you can do this, you can do that, but the debt is still on it. So no matter how much you prepare the house and you make it look good, the mortgage person will still come back and say, excuse me, I like this painting, it is good. He has only appreciated the value of the house, but you are still hoeing on it. So when Christ came, Christ was like that man that came into that building and paid the price on it. I said, you know, they cannot, you, you, the, the debt that you cannot, you know, it is impossible for you to pay. So the Bible says that he came and he canceled legal charge for it. Now, what does this mean? This means that now if a bailiff knocks on your door, you can say, excuse me, this place has been paid for. And that is what Christ did. When the Bible says that when he went on the cross, he paid the price. And as a result of that, it is, um, the Bible says, which stood against us and condemned us. So that means that we are condemned in that system. Like somebody living in a house, no matter how much you paint the house, no matter how much decoration you do, you are still attached to that mortgage. And the Bible says that what God did in, in Christ was that he paid it off. So, the first thing is about his death. Now, when we begin to look, there is something, as we read on, there is something in, in it is a general spiritual law, and I believe is also in the laws. There is what is called the laws of substitution. Those who, if you are, no matter which kind of country, so it's not Nigeria alone, those who practice witchcraft, they will buy a ball and call it a particular name. And they will begin to poke that door. As they are poking that door, that person is having an impact on their life. Why? Because in spiritual terms, there is possibility of substituting somebody for another. It doesn't matter where they are. You know, people will say that, ah, when I travel, when I left Nigeria, uh, what they did was they transferred your file. You know, there is a, a, a different, biblical, there is a different demon that controls. So what they do is that they do transfer a file. So they transfer something, go somebody goes and they transfer file there. The other one, they transfer file. That's what happens. That's why when Paul, um, Daniel, so Daniel said that the, um, the, age, uh, the angel, the Persian angel, and because they are angels that control each jurisdiction, but they are working on that. That's why Jesus said a kingdom cannot be divided. They are not divided. So what they do is they just transfer your system. So when those ones debit an account of God forbid a cost there, they, they translate it 
<laughs> to the sender, I mean to the receiver. So, but there is what is called substitution in the spiritual law. That's why somebody does not need to see somebody as directly. You just need to find if you those who do uh, marriage. You can see it in Brazil, so it's not even Nigeria. You know, Brazil, all those kind of things. If you want to join man and woman together, they would look for a male doll and a female doll and they would tie it together. Why? It is substitution. And when they want to separate both of them, they put those two dolls against one another and they tie them together. It is substitution. And when they're about to throw them, they call them by that name. Some will even say to you, go and find the material that they use so as to validate that this is who they are talking to. Does that make sense? So how does that law apply here? Let's go on. Let's just, next slide, so that we can go to, um, that we can look at the whole Corinthians together. It says, for in Christ is all fullness, and um, of of the deity, sorry, of deity lives in bodily form. It has said, in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. That is, is the head of every power and authority. In him. So what the Bible is saying is that what happened is that you were placed inside of him. So whatever happened to Jesus on the cross happened to you. Because what happened was substitution. You were sub so somebody cannot say that ah, what do you mean? You know, Jesus died two two thousand years ago because you don't understand the laws of substitution. The laws of substitution says that even though it happened two thousand years ago, you were already substituted inside of him. So the Bible, so you begin to read on and on as you begin to say, say Amen. He said, he said, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised, to, you were also raised with him through faith in the workings of uh, things like that. So, you know, we, we, all I'm just first of all trying to make us understand is that why the Bible will say, in Christ, in Christ, what he's saying is that you were substituted inside of him. You were substituted inside of him. And that means that, so that's why I can say that when Christ was nailed to the cross, I was nailed together with him. Why? Because that is the principle of substitution. That is the principle of substitution. God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. So that is what I was just, because I'm just trying to run through the implications of, of, of the gospel, is that when we had a charge over us, so assuming there's somebody that's living in the house that we were talking about, and he has been behaving himself. No matter how well he behaves himself, he will still pay the mortgage. That's why the Bible says, your righteousness is like, because it does not solve the issue. The issue is that there is a debt. You legally belong to the bank. So except that thing is but so no matter how you how somebody when somebody gets to eternity heaven the devil say no no I get what he did I, I can see that he has polished the house is done well but this is my property why because the price was not paid the price was not paid God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ now the second part which I want us to look at is the aspect of being alive to God. So Christ died 
And later on, he brought us to become alive unto God. Now, the question is, what is the point of being alive unto God? What is being alive unto God about? Amen. So, the Bible, when you are alive to God, what happens is that you are now becoming conscious of God. You are now becoming more conscious of God. Let's go on to the next slide, please. Now, before we come to this, is that Jesus said something. Jesus said, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm so sorry, you have to go down a bit to John chapter 3. I'm reading from the Amplified. He said, Jesus came to him at night and said, Rabbi, he said, we know that without that, let's just go to verse 3. He said, and Jesus answered, no, Jesus answered, I, should, I, I, I assure you, most solemnly I say to you, unless a person is born again, that means he is reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and sanctified. He can never see or experience the, the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Is that your consciousness of God cannot really come to pass except you first of all die to God, to, to, to sin. Then your conscience, what makes your life going on as a Christian is the ability to be conscious of God. So, what does this mean? What does this mean? What the Bible is, is, is saying to us here is that what the death of Christ did was that we died to sin, but the resurrection brings us alive to God. So that means that you are, you are born into a realm that you are more conscious of God. And as you are, the more conscious you are of him, the less you are prone to sin. So you 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 are more. What is happening is that your your consciousness of God. Have you seen that when somebody wants to do something, and when God has said to you, "Man, be no," or "Don't be don't be annoyed." There's somebody that annoys you. There's somebody that reminds you and says, "Don't forget the vision." The response will be, "This is the time you will remember vision." What is happening? You are saying that you know. Let's don't. I want to express myself. You are bringing a consciousness to me now that I don't want. So what makes a Christian go on is that the more conscious you are of God, the more alive you are to God, the more your Christ, the more you are transformed to become more and more like Him. The more you are transformed to become more and more like him. You know, the Bible says that, the Bible says that we are beholding Jesus as in a mirror. So that means that as we behold him in a mirror, we are constantly changing. So your, your journey with God can only move on a progressive path if you, the more and more you are conscious of who Jesus is. The more you are conscious of who Jesus is. So the question is that, is that, is that as you are going on, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3, verse 17 to 18. No, please, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 to 18. 
Amen. Chapter 3, 17 to 18, is, it should be helping. Yeah, thank you. It says, But now the Spirit, now the Lord is a Spirit. And where the, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That means emancipation from bondage through freedom. They are, when the Spirit of God is in a place, you are free from even the bondage of sin. And the Bible now says that we all with an unveiled face, it says continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory, even more glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Bible is saying, the more conscious you are about God, the more progressive your journey is. The less conscious you are about God, the further you are away from, from Him. Now you are already born into this world. You have you are giving your life to Christ. But what the Bible is saying now, now your journey of becoming like Jesus will determine how well you are conscious of him. How well you are conscious of him. And this consciousness, if God doesn't, you know, I was, you know, I just, it's, it's important that, see, there are certain things that if you are conscious about, the more conscious about you are about God, you discover that there are certain things you will not be able to say. Because you are conscious about him. When you see, if you, if you have two people, somebody carrying spanners, you know, metal spanners that he uses for cars, and he's walking, and the person that is carrying the head, be, the, the way they will walk will be different. Why? One is carrying something and is conscious of what they are carrying. The other one, it doesn't matter. If you throw it from up to down, they are okay. And the pro what measures your progressiveness is how conscious you are about God. I'm not saying that you will not, there might be times you may not sleep. But the Bible says there is a progression in that journey. So, you will not call it, you may say something, you'll be wrestling with it in your mind in the middle of the night. Why? Because the presence of God is saying, what is that all about? Everybody may say, ah, well done. <laughs> Why? It, the problem is that their distance is farther away from God. So one thing you will discover is that even though you are all Christians that have given your life to Christ, the progression will not determine what you are too. You think we are seen as a be? The problem is that your progression is different from theirs. Giving your life to Christ is the beginning. But there is an expectation from God that your life is progressing. But how we can progress is your consciousness of God. And that is what the apostles were looking at when they go on to talk to us about, and when they say that, let's go to second Corinthians, just two slides after that. Um, when, when they would say to us, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So what we are saying is that as you are going on, maintain a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Be with you now and forevermore. Another version would say this um, version says that but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the charity of God, which is love, and the communication of the Holy Spirit. On the, the one way we may be used to would say the communion of the Holy Spirit. Because when you are communing, you are constantly in communication. 
and your communication with the Holy Spirit as you continue, it is not going to be vision for somebody else. Most of the time, it would be communication about you. So you do certain things, the Holy Spirit will tell you why did you do that. So as you are joining in your paths, but I want so so basically when we are saying may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, what we are saying is that please ensure that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit continues on a daily basis. And the way you do that first is first of all being conscious that God is around you. Does that make sense? So that is one of the things that happens. That is when you are alive to God. You are conscious of him at all times. I'm not saying that you will go and you'll be shaking your head. You'll be shaking your head. You know, you know, some people will go there. That's not what we are talking about. And see, the Bible says something. The Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledging. My understanding of that, acknowledgement does not necessarily mean that you're speaking to them. If somebody's in a room, if I want to acknowledge somebody's presence, I am not necessarily constantly talking to them. But whatever I'm doing, I'm conscious that they are there. So when the Bible says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That means that when it gets to a point where you are already misbehaving, he will say, excuse me. So it is not every time that God will be speaking to you as you are going. No, that is not. It is your, one of your major role as a Christian is to constantly acknowledge him. And acknowledging means that you are conscious he's watching you. You are conscious he's there. You can come to the, <laughs> you can come to the, um, to the, see, at times why, <laughs> you can be on the pulpit and forget and not be conscious of God. Because if you are conscious of him, you will not lie. All the embellishment of story will not happen. Because you are conscious of him. See, the Holy Spirit does not need, the Holy Spirit acknowledges only what he did. The Holy Spirit does not acknowledge because he's not trying to impress anybody. So the Holy Spirit only acknowledges alone what he did and leave the rest for you. You know, you have people who would say, you know, there are all sorts of useless things happening out there. You know, they, they, there is this teaching and, you know, there are some teachings that, you know, some pastors training are teaching people is that you can help people's faith. Basically, you can steer people up to faith. So what they do is that is that they would, there might be a couple of people who have sickness or whatever the case would be and somebody will shout that I'm healed and their faith would would, would rise because the expectation will rise and as a result they will get healed, or they could get healed. That is the teaching. So that's why some people have now legalized that you know arranging miracle is not an is not a problem, because what you are doing is that you are trying to steer up the faith of people. There's teaching out there. So, God help us. But what they don't know that the devil, the Holy Spirit, will really acknowledge the one he did. Or the one that you arrange is your own. So you know, I know that people talk about this arranging miracle. If you don't, if you are not in certain circles and you understand their teaching and their thinking, people have brought theology to the point whereby they have, or, and what they will quote is that when Paul was talking to somebody that the person should be healed, Paul saw that that person had enough faith. So Paul had to pull that person. We say, get up. And that person got up. So what they would teach is that Paul introduced a way to encourage that faith to rise up. 
So that means that if I now introduce lie to encourage the faith, it is, it is okay. That is what that says that the hand justifies things. But that is not spiritual. It's, the hand does not justify anything. The means is what God is concerned about, not the end. God help us in the name of Jesus Christ. So, just quickly, as we as 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 we as, as we just bring these two in close, is that we have talked about the death, we have talked about the resurrection being alive to God, but that resurrection also does something for you. The Bible says that if you go to Ephesians chapter two verse six. It says that, it says, God has raised us up together with Christ and has seated us up in heavenly reigns in Jesus. Why do you say in Christ Jesus? Is that you are still substituted. So where Jesus is sitting, you are sitting together with him because you are seated inside of him. If you are in a car, if the car is driven to Itro, you are in Itro. You cannot be in a car. The car is parked in Itro and you're in Dagenham. It doesn't work that way. So the Bible says that you are now seated together with him. You are seated with, with you are, he has raised up with. So that means that when Christ raised, when Christ was raised up. You and I have all also been raised up with him. Let's let's go on, please. Ephesians again, yeah, chapter one. Now, this is where Paul was struggling to try to make people understand what he's saying. And Paul said, I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called the his holy people who are his rich who are his rich and glorious inheritance i also pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of god's power for us who believe in him that is the same mighty power let's go on please the same mighty power that raised Christ, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him to seated him in, in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. Now he is far above, he's far above any ruler, authority, power, and authority, power, or leader, or anything else. He is the holy, he, he, sorry, not only in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under, his, under, under the authority of Christ and has made him the head of all things for the benefits of the church. So the reason why you and I can get to a point where I would believe that I am I can overcome challenges is because I am seated together with Christ. Because when I was when Christ was buried, I was buried, and when I rose when he rose again, I also rose together with him. Hence, when I had that dream and that demon was saying with Christ, my reason for victory is not that I can pray well. It is that a legal position was changed. I, I am now seated together with Christ in heavenly places. Far above all authorities. Far above all powers. Does that make sense? And Paul hence will come to, to, to a point as we bring it to this. Paul said in First Corinthians chapter 15, he said, if Christ 
is not reason, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Basically, if you don't understand what Christ did, you have faith, but that faith, when you are shooting, you know when you are, there are some guns you can shoot blank, you are just shooting here. There is nothing inside of it. In another translation, the Amplified says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, useless. It is amount to nothing. And your faith is also vain. That means imaginary. You know, oh, I am, I am, I am great. I am great. Oh, no demon can stop standing my way. I am great. And there is no basis for that grammar. See, in spiritual things, nobody cares what you say. It is where what you are saying is coming from. So if somebody is saying, if you have fear inside of you, you say, in the name of Jesus, they will say, hey. <laughs> because it doesn't matter. And you can see somebody who will be quiet and say, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why at times when you go to Orioke and you see all those baba, when they say they should do Asher, they don't, they don't, they don't make me, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not the, you say, and authority comes. But what come, what, how did they get to that place? The understanding is already established inside of them. And so it is from that position they are speaking. And that is what Paul was saying. If you don't understand the gospel and understand your place in that gospel, you will keep struggling. You may be having opportunities here and there, but your faith is just empty. That is why the Bible, the apostles will say, understanding the gospel. See, if you are going to preach spiritual warfare, if you are going to preach any other thing, if you don't understand the first part that we said, that you are now seated in a place, your spiritual warfare is nothing. If you are not careful, the devil will be partnering with that ministry. You can be healing people and the devil is partnering with that ministry. It's not, it's not, it's, people, Peter was preaching and the woman that was demon-possessed was saying, yes, these people are the servant of God. So as we come to the place of prayer together, we are coming to a point of understanding after we've gone through the journey of the gospel is that where we are now seated is a position that is far above where we are. One thing, when you on the when this thing is settled in your spirit, I will end it by see when people when people talk about Solomon, that Solomon asked for wisdom. So people say Solomon has some wisdom. You to stand up and ask some wisdom. And people say, Oh God, Solomon has some wisdom. And God is saying, Is that what happened to Solomon? If you go and read it, um, the scriptures well, Solomon was sleeping. And God went to wake him up. Sorry, met him in his dream and said to him, What do you want? Why? And Solomon said, I don't need the riches, I just need you to grant me wisdom. What was the significance of that? It was the truth that was settled inside Solomon. That truth, that is what his heart really desired. If 
God that you that me and you that you are praying for, God, you gave Solomon wisdom. Why are I praying for wisdom? If God said, Okay, don't worry, let me visit in your dream. And let me come and ask you, what do you want? What are you going to say? God. Ah, the witches in my house. First of all, clear them first. And God will say, ah. See, all this is so what what I'm trying to say is that. When the truth is settled so much inside of you and you are constantly meditating on it, it becomes a truth that is settled in such a way that even if they visit you in your dreams, the response will be exactly the same. But if it has not settled, you would still be saying, oh, my mommy... My mother, when things appear to you, instead of calling the name of Jesus, it's my mom. You call that the, the name of your mom. Amen. God help us in Jesus' name. Let us rise up, please. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.